Our general subject is living in the reality of the kingdom in order to participate in the manifestation of the kingdom. In the first two messages, the emphasis was primarily on the personal side. That is, the reality of the kingdom developing within us, and living in this reality in a personal way. Having a life, a secret life, before the Father who sees in secret, so that the divine life, the kingdom life, may grow within us in all purity. The title of Outline 3 indicates we're making a significant turn. Living the kingdom life in the church life for God's building. So we need to see and we need to go step by step so that we are established in the truth. Then Based on the truth, the life experiences will follow. The Word of God is both truth and life. And life is the content of the truth. And truth is the means to convey or impart life. There was a person in a certain part of the earth who claimed to be today's Apostle John, emphasized, even changed his name to Juan. He thought he really knew the Gospel of John. He talked about life and the Spirit, but he ignored truth. So we need the truth which contains the life. And then that truth will continuously supply us with life. So we need to see the truth concerning the church and the kingdom, this relationship. We are living in the age of the church, not the age of the kingdom. But we are living in the age of the church in the reality and practicality of the kingdom in the church life. So this is how things are worked out. The New Testament gospel is never called the gospel of the church. There is the gospel of the grace of God the gospel of peace, and there is the gospel of the kingdom. Regarding the gospel of the kingdom, the Lord spoke something which should really capture our attention. In Matthew chapter 24, he is responding to the disciples' question about the consummation of the age. 
what will take place. And in verse 14 he says, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the nations, all the inhabited earth, and then the end will come. Even though our brother Billy Graham is with the Lord, and I believe finished his course victoriously and was very faithful to the Lord in what he understood of the gospel. And through him, large numbers were genuinely saved. But he did not preach the gospel of the kingdom. In order to announce the gospel of the kingdom, you have to be in the kingdom, living the kingdom life. The gospel of the kingdom releases into the believers Christ as the kingdom life. Then according to Matthew 28, 19, we baptize them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit. We are charged to disciple the nations, not simply bring them to salvation. So the first step is to immerse them into the triune God once they believe. Then the Lord said, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here we see the producing of kingdom people. And this gospel of the kingdom, which is desperately needed in this country, confronts the fundamental problem in the whole universe. That is rebellion against the throne of God. The archangel, Lucifer, and the angels who followed him and who has established a kingdom opposed to God operates by this principle of rebellion. So in Isaiah 14, he said again and again, I will, I will, I will lift up my throne above the stars. I will make myself equal with God. Then he injected his rebellious sinful nature into humanity. And it's significant when we read the word carefully that sin in its definition in the New Testament is the direct violation and contradiction of Genesis 1.26. God created us in His image to express Him and to represent Him with His authority to subdue the earth. Satan injected the element of his rebellious nature so Romans, into, into humanity. So Romans 3.23 says, 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there's not an unsaved person who expresses God. Even though we were created to express Him. No one does this. Rather, the self and Satan behind the self is expressed. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, the Apostle John says, Sin is lawlessness. It's lawlessness. That's the principle. That means no one tells me what to do. I am not subject to any law. And even many who have a problem with a certain prominent political person, certain female, they attribute to her and her husband, laws are for everyone else. But your attitude is not for us. But actually, this is the inner attitude of every fallen person. So we are committed to bring the gospel of the kingdom to these people, the only kind of people they are on the earth, regardless of how polite they might be, how nice they might be, at the core, we're all the same. And when someone is enlightened and repents and believes and is born of the Spirit to enter the kingdom and if the gospel is preached in full, they enter into the church life. They are now entering into the kingdom in its practicality. The kingdom, through the gospel of the kingdom, produces the churches. If you look into the recovery version, at the beginning of the gospel of Acts and read the definition of the central thought, it is propagating the resurrection, resurrected Christ in ascension to establish churches, the kingdom of God. So the kingdom, through the gospel and the life of the kingdom, establishes the churches. So in Luke uh, in Romans 14:17 which is written in the context of the church life and in the context of receiving one another to receiving all believers who have faith and who have been received by God Paul says he refers to the kingdom indicating in receiving the believers and living the church life, we are living the kingdom life in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Even among us, this is not a criticism, it's an observation. There is a significant percentage of the dear saints who may not realize to be in a local church is not only to be in the house of God. It's to be in the kingdom of God. We don't have a choice here. The church is the dwelling place of God. 
It is the Father's house mentioned in John 14, where we have a place prepared for us. But the church is also the kingdom. And I've observed over the decades, the dear brothers and sisters, and they are dear, no matter what the outcome is, they're dear just by being born of God. They're dear. To observe with sadness those who cannot remain or those who are never built up because they want only the house of God church life. Whenever they touch the element of the kingdom of God church life, they, they, they're not happy with that. John, even when he was on the island of Patmos, 90 plus, and was given the responsibility to send a scroll containing the revelation to the seven churches, he identified himself in a certain way. In chapter 1, verse 9, I, John, your brother, and your companion, in the tribulation and in the kingdom and in the endurance in Jesus. So John's consciousness was even though he is isolated on a rocky island, he is a brother who's living as a companion to the saints in the kingdom. He was living in the kingdom where he was. To him, this is a reality. So the gospel of the kingdom, releasing the divine life, produces the kingdom people who are then formed as churches according to the New Testament. Not according to degraded religion, but according to the New Testament then these churches are the kingdom of God in practicality. And the content of the church life is the all-inclusive Christ as the king and the kingdom. That's the content. And the church, as the practicality of the kingdom, has one particular major responsibility and that is to bring in the manifestation of the kingdom. When we come together for the Lord's table and we remember the Lord and declare his death, very often we'll have a certain sense when the Lord Jesus established the table and presented the bread and then the cup, he said, I will not drink again of <clears throat> this cup of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom. So he is even now waiting to be in the kingdom with us, 
to have the Lord's table, at least in principle. And he will drink the cup again. This indicates that as we are practicing the church life and come together to remember the Lord, our church life is the connection between the first coming of Christ and his coming again. We remember him. We remember what he did. We remember who he is. We declare his death. But we do so with a living hope that soon we will have this meal with him again. The church has a definite responsibility to open the way and to prepare the way to bring in the manifestation of the kingdom. This is an awesome responsibility, but it's a wonderful, glorious privilege. So now, I want to present to you six aspects of living the church life, the kingdom life in the church life. Then we'll go on to the outline. And let's keep in mind, we can have all of these aspects, not by our self-effort, not by our natural human life, but by Christ himself, who is the reality of the kingdom, who is the king, and who is the kingdom. Okay, the first has to do with being under authority. Meaning, the authority of the resurrected and ascended Christ. When the Lord Jesus was on earth in his ministry, a Roman centurion sent him a message through a messenger and said, I can't remember if it's my son or my servant, is seriously ill. Please heal him. And the Lord said, I will come and heal him. The centurion said, you don't need to come. I'm not worthy of you to come. You simply speak a word and it will be healed. Then he said this, I also am a man under authority. I also. So I speak to this soldier, go he goes. Another come and he comes. He recognized the Lord Jesus as the Son of Man was living under the authority of God. And because he was under authority, he could represent God and speak a word of healing. This is significant because he, as a man, had to solve the fundamental problem personally by his living than by his death and resurrection. And we know he did this by Paul's word in Philippians 2, 
the Lord was obedient unto death, the death of the cross. He established the reality of obedience. Obedience is Christ. He was 33 and a half when he was praying with agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was struggling between two matters, the will of the Father and the cup. He realized this cup is there. Only God and the Son would understand the suffering involved. And he said, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And he prayed three times. Sweat almost like blood. Angels had to come to strengthen him. Because he is not governed by the cup. He's governed by the will of the Father. And who would ever want to drink a cup like this? in and of itself. But eventually it became clear the will and the cup came together, if I may say, coalesced. And then he was clear. So, according to John, when he's being arrested, and Peter, trying to wield a sword, although he didn't pass Swordship 101, he drew the sword and only hacked off an ear. And remember what the Lord said to him, Simon, the cup which my father has given me to drink, given me, shall I not drink it? Don't try to defend me, protect me from doing the father's will. The father wills that I die, that I drink this cup. At the end of John 14, he says, The ruler of this world is coming. He has no ground in me. Let us arise. Let's go to my termination that the world may know I love the Father. And he was obedient unto death. So as a man, he uniquely lived a life of subjection to divine authority and obedience unto death, the death of the cross. Then in his resurrection, he testified, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We need to know this. No co-worker has any authority in himself. There's no such thing. There is no elder or leading one who has authority in himself. There's no such thing. The Greek word for authority is exousia. Ex means out of. Usia means your being. Authority flows out of the being of God. Into the Son. So now, 
the resurrected and ascended Jesus is the ruler of the entire universe. All, he didn't say most authority. All authority is given to me. Now, how mysterious. The one who is in us as the king and the kingdom to rule us is also the one who was ruled himself. Who is obedience itself. And if we are to live the kingdom life in reality, we need to know him in these two aspects. The one who was under authority. So when John 7, his brothers are saying, we're going to go up to the feast. Why don't you come do something spectacular to prove who you are? They didn't believe in him. He said, your time is always ready. My time is not yet. You go up. The Lord has a will. He also has a way to carry out his will. And a timing. Timing means a lot to God. Once we know the will of God in a matter, we're not free to do it when and how we want to do it. The Lord may have to wait in one matter in my own life. He had me wait from October 1955 to December winter training 1994. That's 39 years. That didn't happen to everything else or I wouldn't have done anything in my whole life. I'm just waiting. So this is the Lord. And so we need to know Him as this person and take Him as this person with His obedience and recognize we are in a kingdom where the ascended Christ exercises His authority. And this is the only realm on earth He can do this. The only realm. And then the other five matters follow from this. So the second matter I would mention is the Lord's teaching concerning relationships in the kingdom. He has some important words to say about forgiveness. And there's even a word in the prayer he taught us about forgiveness, which is, forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven the trespasses of others. When we were saved and our sins we for, were forgiven, we were forgiven unconditionally and eternally. There's nothing we had to do that's part of the gospel. But now, as forgiven and regenerated persons, we're living the kingdom life in the church life, and here are being forgiven for our failures 
has a condition. You must forgive others. If you do not forgive others, you will not be forgiven during this age. You will be forgiven sometime during the kingdom age while you are under discipline. And so, the Lord told that parable. A man who owed his master a huge amount, he pleaded for mercy, his master fully released him. Then he went to a fellow servant who owed him a pittance, a small amount, and was ruthless with him. Said, I'll put you in prison until you pay. And other serving ones saw this, and they were grieved. And they told the master. And the master had to deal with them. In relation to this, even after all the decades I've been here, there's something I just don't understand. But it's happening. I don't understand someone, sister or brother, but the examples I have in mind are sisters, but it's not to pick on you. They're just coming to mind. They are offended and they just don't forgive. And they stop their church life. I know three brothers who are elders in churches whose wives have not met in the church for well over 20 years. I don't understand that. If they have trouble forgiving, and sometimes they seek fellowship, I help them realize, you have the heart to forgive. But you have been hurt. You don't realize that. If you let the Lord heal your wound by life, the oil and wine, right away you'll have the grace to forgive. But you need to be, let the Lord minister to you. Then receive the grace to forgive. I just don't understand the thinking of these saints. Don't you realize you are losing the church life now? Your growth in life stopped 20 years ago, and you will be, miss the kingdom. Because you're in the kingdom. You're not in charge. You don't set the governing principles. The Lord does. Forgive. In this matter, be honest with the Lord. If you say, Lord, I'm so angry, I can't. You're opening to Him, and He'll deal with the anger. If you say, Lord, I want to forgive, but I, I just, I'm not able. I need your grace. He will give you the grace. But this is a kingdom matter. I hope we're clear. In First John, yes, on the side of fellowship, our fellowship with the Lord, we confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. But from the point of view of the kingdom, if we don't forgive others, the Father suspends forgiveness until we do. 
So if these three sisters, they're now probably in their early 70s, all of them, if they don't have a turn and they pass away, they're with the Lord, then when they meet the Lord, the Lord would say, we have to settle this. I will forgive you when you forgive them sometime during this kingdom period. So this is, this is part of our kingdom life. It's a serious matter to come to the Lord's table with an unforgiving spirit, with an unforgiving heart. I know a brother, now I'm giving equal time, very strong in um, character and standard, and his concept is this. I'll forgive you if you come and humble yourself before me and ask for forgiveness. You may think, well, that's reasonable. Whether it's reasonable or not, I don't know. But in Mark 11, the Lord says, when you stand praying and a brother has offended you, you need to forgive him. You forgive him. Whether or not he repents to you, you forgive him. That's your responsibility. Brother Lee, when we were in a kind of a fierce battle with people attacking us and attacking the truth, he shared this because it lodged with me. This is from 1977. He said, when we're in the new heaven and the new earth, I think those that are opposing me now will come to me and say, Brother Lee, we're sorry for opposing you in the age of grace. Forgive us. And Brother Lee said this, it's okay, I forgave you already in the age of grace. I forgave you. Then a third matter has to do with, in Matthew's account, you've got James and John, brothers, wanting to ask the Lord for something, but behind, behind them is the mother. Mark doesn't mention the mother, but Matthew does. So no doubt she's the dividing source. Okay, Lord Jesus, we'd like to ask you something. What is it? Oh, my sons, my sons, when you come in the kingdom, may they be on your right hand and on your left. Let the other ten, they can be remote. My sons, okay? And, and they themselves were echoing this. And the Lord said, this is not mine to give. Then he asked them a question, not the mother, he asked them. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And the baptism that I baptize with? They said, yes. And then he said, you will. But whether or not you will sit here, that's not up to me. 
The reward is given at another time. Well, both James and John drank the cup and were baptized, but in two very different ways. James was martyred in Acts 12. John lived a life of martyrdom. Psychological martyrdom, spiritual martyrdom, endless suffering well into his 90s. And when the other disciples heard this, they were troubled they got to make their request first. So this is what the Lord said to them in Matthew uh, 20. And when the ten heard this, they were indignant. You can just sense it. The indignant. Oh, I'm just so indignant that they did this concerning the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. None of you is going to exercise authority. None of you is going to dominate anybody else. We're not going to be like the political powers on the earth. But whoever wants to become great among you, that's what they were asking. This was sheer ambition. We want greatness. Well, if you want greatness, the church life is the wrong place. Go to Hollywood, do this or that. Uh, I don't know how much this one baseball player, Bryce somebody, $330 million. Go to the NBA like LeBron James. Win win the Olympic gold medal. You want glory? You're not going to get it here. You get a cup and you get baptism and no promise of this or that that you and your mom are looking for. If anyone would become great among you, shall be your servant. So those who take the lead in the church, the ministry, and the work, should take the lead to be a servant of the saints. To minister to them. To lower themselves to them and wash their feet. How sad it is If some would think, no, I'm an elder. Oh, my husband's an elder. He's a king. I'm a queen. Oh, sister. One dear sister. Her husband was appointed an elder by Brother Lee. And she had a celebration dinner at her house. It's a good thing I wasn't there in Anaheim. You know, I might have said to her, sister, you should not be rejoicing. You should say bye-bye to your husband. You're not going to see him that much. He is a slave. He is a servant of God. You are the wife of a slave. You're not a queen. You're not anything because your husband is an elder. But I was astonished when one 
young sister went to fellowship about marriage and courtships and a brother. And, and I wasn't trying to draw anything out of her. I was just listening. And she said, I admit I'm ambitious. I want to marry a brother who is a promise, who is promising. He will be a co-worker. He, he will minister the word. He will be an elder and I want to be a wife of such a person. I don't know what I said to her, anything, probably nothing I would say now, sister. If you want to be the wife of an elder, of a traveling co-worker, of someone paying the price to minister, get ready to suffer with your husband until you both are raptured. This is not the time or the place for you to get glory. That's in the world. That's in religion. Not here. And whoever wants to be first among you shall be your slave. So the Apostle John, in writing his third epistle, said, Diotrephes, he won't receive us. And he kicks out of the church anyone who will receives us because he loves to be first. Then he says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, this is the Son of Man. He's the King. He didn't come to be served. He doesn't have the attitude, you owe me this, you should serve me this. I'm here to serve. I'm here to be last. And now, you're going to live a kingdom life just like this. When this is lived out corporately, it's indescribably beautiful. No ambition. No pride. No self-exaltation. After my very first meeting in the church in Los Angeles, I came into the church in San Francisco. A month later, moved down to Los Angeles. And a brother, after a meeting, shepherded me. He was a former minister. And he greeted me and he had fellowship. He said, here, in this place, you lose all your glory. And so does everyone who gloried in you. Including your wife or whatever it is. I treasure that. Even though after 35 years or so, he, he went astray. I'm thankful for his fellowship. So this is a, this is a realm different from the world. It's different from religion. The Lord has all the authority. We are under authority. We live a life of forgiveness in relation to the kingdom. And the ambition, the Lord will surface it in us and then kill it and replace it with himself. And we're just here not to be served, but to serve. The Lord covers me I believe the conscience of the body will witness when I travel throughout much of the earth 
I don't expect anything. I don't look for anything. I'm there to serve. That's all. I do long to get a reward from the Son of Man on that day. Not here. Okay, then, the fourth aspect concerns life and service. Revealed in the parables in Matthew 25. The first is the parable of the virgins. Ten are prudent and ten are unwise. They're all believers because they have oil in their lamps. And we know from Proverbs 20, 27, the spirit of man is the lamp of Jehovah. To have light in their lamps means they're regenerated. But with the lamp, there's a vessel to contain the reserve amount of oil to keep the lamp burning. The prudent ones use their time to acquire oil in their vessel. That's in the soul. In their soul. And so in the life aspect of the kingdom life, they realize regeneration is only the start. I want to be filled in spirit, have oil in my spirit. But I need oil in my vessel. Now to be very exact, the reason the number 10 is mentioned, because it, 12 is a complete number. I'll mention the other two in a moment. They signify the believers who die before the Lord comes back. And then they will all be resurrected when the bridegroom comes. But the five that were foolish, their lamps are going out. And they say to the prudent ones, give us some of your oil. But they can't give it. They say, there are certain things you have to buy. Go to yourself, go yourself, and buy oil. So they went away. While they went away, the bridegroom came. The five wise ones entered the wedding feast. The others came later. They knocked on the door. They couldn't get in. If a brother or a sister is taken to be with the Lord before he comes back, the way one should end. You have the sense of, I finished my course. Those who love me will grieve. I know what I'm talking about. But deep within, they'll realize she, was, she had oil in her vessel. He had oil in his vessel. He finished his course. He or she, they were wise virgins. She used the time the Lord measured out in the church life to get the oil. Now about the other two. The other two are mentioned in Matthew 24. Two women were grinding. Very kind of dull, boring work. You're not just, you're not even to the point you've been baking yet. You've got to grind out the meal. 
And two men are in the field, meaning they're hard at work. And of the two women, one is taken in rapture and the other is left. And of the two men in the field, one is taken and the other is left. Well, our Lord is never arbitrary. He doesn't say, I've got to choose one of them, you know. So, we should be like plucking a, a daisy, you know. Take him, take him not, take him, take him not. <laughs> Remember that? Loves me, loves me not. Okay. No. Outwardly, they're both doing something very ordinary, practical, and human. They're living an ordinary, practical, human life. But there's an inward difference. One is grinding in union with the Lord, full of the Lord, enjoying the Lord, expressing the Lord. And how the rapture call will be communicated, I don't know. But it won't be with a megaphone. It'll be the way he speaks now, quiet, it's time, or come. And right away she says, Amen. The other doesn't even hear. Same thing with the two men. So this is revealed in Matthew. So the context is the kingdom. And like John on the island of Patmos, we're not in meetings most of the time. We're not with saints a lot of the time. We have to be responsible human beings support our families and take care of all these matters. But we have one life and one living. So I'm here doing this. But I'm as much in the kingdom as when I'm in a church meeting. Then the other parable was about servants receiving talents, that is the grace to serve in a certain way. And the Lord comes as a master who expects results. I gave you five. So that one comes and says, you gave me five. I used the five. I have five more. Well done. The one with two. I received two. I exercised the two. The Lord says, well done. If the one-talented ones, who are the vast majority, if that one had said, Lord, you gave me one, just one. And I was content with that. I didn't measure myself by the fives and the twos. And I used what you gave me in serving the children and helping to count the offering and taking care of the physical facility of the church of doing this and that so now I gained another one here's two he would have said the same thing well done but for some reason he buried it he kept it safe he dug a hole put it in the ground then when the Lord comes he says here it is and the Lord is strong with him don't you know, I reap where I didn't sow? 
there's this aspect. He will be both the bridegroom and the master. So part of our living the kingdom life in the church life is the practical service. I don't know, I don't presume to know the general situation. But in the the local churches that I'm familiar with, if I just sit for a moment and compare the present heart to serve with what we knew in Eldon Hall in the 60s, I realize we've gone far astray. Far astray. And I look to the Lord that He would recover the serving spirit in the church life. This is part of the kingdom life. We're linking this to the Lord's the Lord's word. That we need to be the wise the wise ones serving faithfully serving with what we have. We're not here to rule others. We're here to serve. Then now, the servant has a talent. We use it. The Lord is very reasonable. The vast majority of the people, they have this amount of capacity. I gave them this much. In my view, every member of the body is indispensable and irreplaceable. One day I got a phone call from a sister that was quite discouraged with herself and wanted fellowship, but I believe also wanted pity. So we have to learn how to give fellowship without feeding the self-pity. And she said, Ron, I think the church here can get along without me. So what should I say? Anyway, this is what I said. You decide whether you would agree with it. I said, Sister, the church could get along without you, but not as well as with you. Like, if you lost your two big toes... You can still keep living, but not as much. You know that king in Judges, he, he conquered another king. He cut off their thumbs and their toes. Well, if you didn't have any thumbs, and have any to- big toes, you could still live, but not nearly as well as having toes and thumbs. Believe me, every member of the body is irreplaceable, indispensable. No one is, is, a, is a nothing, meaning having no portion. Okay, then there is the prayer life. Maybe I'll look into this more tomorrow. I just mentioned it briefly. <clears throat> In Matthew 6, we're to pray for the kingdom to come. The kingdom is not just going to come. We're going to bring it in. To pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. 
And and in Matthew 18, we have the keys of the kingdom to bind and to release. And the Lord really wants to develop this in our prayer meetings. There's a time to call out to the Lord. Even to cry out to Him. And there are times when the Lord would say, please don't pray like this. You are the kingdom on the earth. I have given you the keys. You can exercise authority. The heavens have bound this evil thing. Don't ask me to bind it. You bind it. There are three of you praying. It could be three sisters. It could be two couples. It could be three brothers. But you're in the Lord's name and you're in harmony. And you're under His authority. And you're just disgusted with this evil thing going on and what the enemy is doing. And you're going to bind Him because the heavens have bound Him. And there's someone. You just long, long for this person to be recovered. Your heart aches. And you prayed and prayed. For some reason, no answer. Maybe in this case, the Lord would say, I have released him. I have released her already. I want you to do your part. Release what the heavens have released. This is going to open up a realm of prayer beyond anything we've ever known. I'm looking forward to this. Now, I have so far covered about the first three-fourths of the subject of the outline. Now a little bit on the last three words for God's building. Then we'll read through in 20 minutes or more. You'll have a lot of time to share. For God's building. So God's building is the goal. (coughs) When the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, drank water from the rock, ate manna, received the covenant. The goal was chapter 40. Build a tabernacle. That's what God told Moses. I want you to build a tabernacle for me that I may come down and dwell in them. So, God showed Moses the design. The people were moved to offer what was needed. It was built exactly according to the design. It was set up. Then what happened? The glory of the Lord descended. Glory is God expressed. The fact that the glory of God entered into the tabernacle as the building of God indicates building is the corporate expression of the triune God in Christ. That's building. The Lord is not after heroes. There are no heroes in the body. There are no heroes in the kingdom. They're just faithful ones. And his desire 
his great prophecy was, I will build my church. In Matthew 16. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Hades is the power of death. There is nothing in us that can withstand the power of death. Nothing. Then how can a church withstand the power of death only when it is built up in the resurrection life of Christ? Death cannot hold the resurrection life. The attacks will come. We're unshakable. We cannot be defeated because we are built up corporately to be God's dwelling place in Christ's resurrection. Then when the temple was built under Solomon's administration, the glory of God filled the temple so no one could do anything. The same principle. The building, the temple, the ark, they actually signify God's people. The people are the dwelling place. The people are the temple. So the Lord wants to build us together in himself to be a corporate person, to be his dwelling place and his city. Then the glory of God will be expressed. That is why we have this definition. We learned it from the minister of the age. God's building is his corporate expression. That is the goal. Now, we read through the outline. It's just one page. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Just have to clear my throat of phlegm. One, to be built up with fellow believers is the Lord's supreme and highest requirements of His faithful seekers. According uh, according in the oneness to the oneness of the divine trinity this is what the lord prayed for on the night before he died brother lee told us this incident of a serving sister in one of the churches there in taiwan and others other sisters respected her so much and admired her so much that she was just so spiritual and quiet and gentle and this and that, so spiritual. Then Brotherly asked them one question, who is she spiritual with? She, she wasn't spiritual with anybody. If Madame Guion, this profoundly spiritual woman, if she were in the Lord's recovery in the church life, She would be working in the kitchen. She would be taking care of the toddlers. She would be cleaning the restrooms. We're not going to exalt her spirituality. Madame Guion, you're this beautiful spiritual woman. The age has changed. That age is over. We've got to be spiritual together. Built up together. No one is on display. The Lord is not building a museum. 
and, and, and there'll be these sections. Here is, here's a spiritual person on display. No, he's building up the new Jerusalem. A, the constitution of the kingdom of the heavens is not for individuals, but for a corporate person. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see. For theirs is, yeah, they shall see God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The Lord is speaking to a group. Not blessed is the pure in heart, for she will see God. Not blessed are the, is the poor in spirit, for he will be in the reality of the kingdom. This is addressed to a group of people. It's addressed to us. The Lord wants a group of people who were pure in heart. So Paul told Timothy, who was going to be left behind after Paul's martyrdom in a difficult situation. He said, flee youthful lusts and call upon and pursue righteousness, faith, love, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Timothy, don't try to be a hero. You be with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What a blessing this is. To be with a group of ordinary humans, redeemed by the blood, regenerated, and can come together and we all have the same, the same goal. We love the Lord we glorify Him. We exalt Him. We call on His name out of a pure heart, meaning we only want You, Lord. This is the building. B, being built up with fellow partakers of the divine life is the highest virtue of one who pursues after Christ according to God's eternal economy. If we gave a one-sentence quiz, what is the highest virtue of a Christian? We might say, it, it will be love. Well, you're getting close. But the body is built up in love. So if the love is there, the love is going to produce a building. And that is the highest virtue. To be built up with one another. This is the way... You want to finish your course, hopefully in rapture. You were built up. You were built into the church. You were not an individual who just come and went. You were built in. Two, the Bible first presents the kingdom and thereafter presents the church. The presence of the kingdom produces the church. The life of Christ is the life of God is the kingdom of God. And this life produces the church. They covered this to some extent in the beginning. The kingdom is the reality of the church. Therefore, apart from the kingdom life, we cannot live the church life. The church life is, life is something that's 24-7. It's not just meetings. 
To be in the church is not simply to be in, in a certain number of meetings. It's a life of fellowship. It's a life of mutual care. It's a life of serving together. It's a life of caring for one another. When there's a great need, we rejoice together, we suffer together, we pray together. When the elders in Anaheim, I'm not one, I'm just a brother there, for which I'm truly thankful. I have enough to do. The brothers were meeting at a certain place up up in the mountains for prayer and fellowship. And Brother Andrew was having a time with Brother Lee before he joined them. And they asked Brother Andrew if he would go to Brother Lee and say, Brother Lee, do you have a word for the elders of the church in Anaheim? Then Andrew faithfully joined the brothers and gave them the word. Okay? This is it. To the elders. Love one another. Your wives should love one another. And you should love one another's children. That's so precious. Oh, you brothers love one another. That takes a supply. For your wives to love one another, that takes also an abundant supply. Then love one another's children. You go beyond your natural affection. A few weeks ago, there was a brief but precious memorial meeting for our brother Joey Marks. Born in 1985 with Down syndrome. And there was testimony after testimony of how he loved us and how we loved him. I not only love my own sons, I love Ed Marks' sons. He loves not only his sons, he loves my sons. When he asks about a certain one of them, I know there's deep feeling in his heart for both him and for me. This is the life, the church life. And we can only have a church life. When I was in a denomination, you attend an hour meeting on a Sunday. You may not talk to a person sitting next to you. You don't know anybody. It doesn't matter. You're just there to go through something. That's not the church life. B, the kingdom is the reality of the church. Therefore, apart from the kingdom life, we cannot live the church life. I repeat, the reality of the kingdom of the heavens is the content of the church life. Without the reality of the kingdom, the church is empty. Empty. So we're not talking about Christianity is a system. We're talking about local churches. I have visited empty churches. They're empty. The activities go on, but the reality of the kingdom isn't there. 
Even the elders don't get along themselves. They don't even meet. Then, and the church is going to be an extension of what they are. But oh, to sense the content is the Christ who is the reality of the kingdom. When he is that reality corporately, that's the content of the church. Three, a believer who does not live in the reality of the kingdom cannot be built into the structure of the church. So I'm speaking in principle. I'm not being covert. I don't indirectly try to address someone subtly. That's not purity. That's not sincere. But I do know a number of dear saints who've been here longer than I have, they're still not built in. They're not built in. No one can touch them. No one can really relate to them. When they pray in a prayer meeting, they're like on an island with someone singing a solo, not part of a chorus. It is the kingdom that makes all of us buildable. If you all submit with joy and peace to the Lord's authority, and I do not, I can never be built in with you. We can converse. We can call that fellowship. We can meet together. But I'm alone. And deep within, I'll feel alone. And also, you will realize I am alone. You're not judging. You're just discerning. See, the kingdom, without the kingdom as the reality of the church, the church cannot be built up. The church is brought into being through the authority of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom are given to make the building of the church possible. Actually, the background <clears throat> for those binding and loosing prayers was this. There's a brother who caused a problem or offended someone. And the, the brother who was offended went to him with the goal of recovering him. So he went brother to brother and said, Brother, we need to clear up something. This happened. It really, really troubled me. Can you clear it up? He wouldn't hear him. So he brought one or two other brothers with him with the same intention to appeal to him. Brother, let's just clear it up. You did this. And I'm, I'm ready to forgive, but we need to clear it up. He won't listen. Then the Lord said then, tell it to the church. Which is not to speak it in a church meeting, it's to tell it to the administration of the church. And if he does not hear the church, then let him be to you as an unbeliever. You're not excommunicating him. But you can't fellowship with him. He's like an unsaved person. So that one is still refusing to listen. So a vital group is formed. The Lord gathers two or three together in His name. 
They are in harmony. And they are burdened to recover this person. And they bind what needs to be bound. They release what needs to be released. In Brother Lee's book on the vital groups, he points out the function of the vital groups is to live the kingdom life. And the heart of this kingdom life is to care for people, to recover people. Even prior to that incident, in Matthew 18, is the parable of the shepherd who has a hundred sheep, 99 are there. One is lost. He doesn't say, that's a high percentage. He seeks the lost one until he finds it. This is an aspect of the kingdom life within us. We're going to seek out a lost sheep until we find it. I'm not going to just clock in. I put in so much time. That's enough. Until he finds it. So this is really quite crucial. The keys of the kingdom make the building possible. We're exercising this for the building. Three, when the kingdom of the heavens is able to, when the kingdom of the heavens is able to assert its authority over a company of believers, those believers can be built up into the church. So all of us are part of a company, a group in a local church. If the ascended Christ is able to exercise authority over this group of believers, you will be built up and he will have a way to do whatever he wants to do. And so there is a leadership here. But the leadership isn't simply a few brothers meeting, making a decision and making an announcement. The brothers in their meeting are learning to read the saints. Sometimes there'll be an open meeting. We're going to present a matter. We will make a decision here. We'd like to know your feeling, your fellowship. Please share. We're considering this. Or you just learn in the Lord to realize this is what's in the heart of the saints. And so the brothers are together, praying and fellowshipping under the throne. They make a decision under the throne. They announce the decision to the church. We're going to raise up another church here. We're going to have a district here. We're going to do this. Then that's an announcement because we're not a democracy. Fellowship is not one person, one vote. Fellowship is the flowing of the divine life. And then the whole church is under the Lord's authority. That church will be wonderfully blessed. Doesn't that sound pleasant? Don't you want to be in that kind of church life? Let's pray the Lord will raise up hundreds, maybe a few thousand local churches like this all over the earth. Now, the last section. The genuine church is the kingdom of God in this age. Today, the believers live the kingdom life in the church. 
If one is not in the church and says, I'm living the kingdom life. Well, only the Lord knows whether that's a reality or not. Whether we're living the kingdom life will be, you could say, confirmed by our relationships, by our love for one another, by our service, by our faithfulness, by the one accord among us, by our prayer, by our concern for people, by our having the loving and forgiving heart of our Father and the seeking and shepherding spirit of the Son. John, again, I'm your companion. Physically, I'm separated. But in his inner being, he was never separated. In Brother Nee's inner being in those 20 years, he was never separated. He brought a cellmate to the Lord. Brother Nee was so weak, he couldn't go to the cafeteria to eat. His roommate asked, can I bring... Mr. Nee's food to him. He said, let him come himself. We're not taking care of people like that. So he ate half of his food. Brought the rest of his food to feed Brother Nee. And he was brought to the Lord. And then he was released. And Brother Nee told him, when you are released, look for a man named Witness Lee. For when you see him, you see me. He was in that labor camp, Anway province, 20 years, but was in the reality of the kingdom intrinsically. And this is a pattern for us. In the church as the kingdom, we are under rule, government, discipline, and exercise. Mainly the discipline is the discipline of the spirit. So, Jacob had to learn this. All kinds of experiences. Till eventually, he was absolutely under the discipline of the Spirit. His life reached maturity. He was reigning in life. Then he could look back on his whole life and say, the Lord was shepherding me all my life long. When I woke up in the tent And it was Leah. That was the Lord's care for me. Rachel was my natural first love. Leah was his choice. So you could just sense the tenderness in him when he's referring to the family tomb at Machpelah. And he said, there I buried Leah. And so we're not under the discipline of one another. Only in rare cases must the church exercise discipline over someone in a gross situation or is divisive or heretical. Then they have to be disciplined by the church. But that's not the daily practice. We're all under the Father's discipline. Hebrews 12, the Father disciplines those whom He loves. Not punishing. Discipline. So that we can be in the reality of the kingdom. The last point. Although the church today is God's kingdom, we are in the kingdom in reality only when we live, walk, 
and have our being in the Spirit, not in our natural man. So I covered so many points, aspects of the kingdom life in the church life, but it all comes down to one simple matter. Be in the mingled spirit. Whenever we're in the mingled spirit, we're in the reality of the kingdom. And what we do in the mingled spirit will be living the life of the kingdom in the church life. So I end with this suggestion. Let's all seek this and learn this together. Okay? So if the Lord would will that we come back here to my Arizona in February or March in a year, we'll all have the sense there's more reality of the kingdom among all of us. So that one day at a time, over the next 365, we just go on little by little to live the kingdom life and the church life for God's building.